I'm Izzy, and my guest today is super, super dope. He's someone that quite literally was pumping gas at one point of his life and now is working with one of the biggest brands in the world on collaborations and everything like that. But what we're really, really diving into today is his story and the overall process and the journey from the gas station to New Balance. So, Sarmad, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Super, super excited to have you on, tell your story, everything like that. But for those who don't know who you are, I gave a quick insight as to the start and end of your journey, not end, but end to date. Um, mm -hmm. So who are you? What do you do? Yeah, uh, well, thanks for the introduction. Uh, like I said, uh, my name is Sarmad. Um, yeah, I'm a footwear designer for the lifestyle and global collaboration team uh, here at New Balance. Let's get the elephant out of the room. Like, what have you touched in regards to product and everything like that? Yep. And then let's let's jump into the journey. Yeah. So a few things. Um, you know, we talk about collaboration. A uh, couple uh, pretty well-known brands. I think uh, a, a lot of your listeners have probably heard. Um, just um, some streetwear brands. Uh, brands like Kith, uh, Amelion Dor, um, Bodega, just to kind of name a few kind of those uh, popular brands that, you know, we see and love. Um, and then I work on a lot of the inline stuff, um, more focused on the energy side of New Balance. Um, nice. Yeah, and uh, some, some of the popular models like the 550s, um, really uh, just a diverse uh, group of models that I've worked with here for the past couple of years now. So uh, mixing in with, uh, like I said, collaboration inline and then made in the USA products, uh, some of our collaborations uh, have been through some of our made uh, models as well. So I've been kind of dabbling with uh, really everything, to be honest. Let's start on this journey. Yeah. If I remember correctly, you went to school to be an architect. You didn't go yeah. to school to design shoes and apparel and right. all this stuff. So give me some insight as to the start of that journey and how you've ended up becoming who you are today. Yeah. Um, well, Actually, we'll take it back to kind of high school, uh, trying mm -hmm. to figure out what I actually wanted to do. I think, you know, you're at such a young age, you kind of feel this pressure to do something, but you really don't know what to do because you don't really know what's out there to do. Uh, other than like a couple of things that, you know, I, I talked about wanting to do something with sports. Uh, you know, I my, my ultimate goal growing up was you know, to be a basketball player, but, you know, I, I think it kind of figure that out pretty quickly that, you know, it's not as easy to do, um, you know, given the circumstances that you're in. So uh, I decided to go to Wentworth Institute in Boston to study architecture. And in reality, I actually just followed my older brother uh, because I knew he was doing it and he went to school there. I, I At the time, I just really didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I loved different things. I loved being by the water. I loved sports, but that was really it. And kind of branching off on my own was a little bit uh, scary at times. So I kind of just knew that I was comfortable kind of, uh, you know, following my brother to school. So I, I went to school at Wentworth Institute. I studied architecture there for four years. Uh, and then I decided to do a master's degree. Um, that one's a little interesting. That's kind of really when I started to kind of learn to love being on my own and branch out. I could have done a master's degree at the same school, uh, one year yeah. program, but I decided to kind of try something different, try uh, going somewhere where I've never been before. Um, and ultimately it was um, 
applied to a, a bunch of schools, uh, but one in particular was the University of Oregon. Uh, I've never been to Oregon. I've never been to the West Coast. I figured, you know, why not do something out of the ordinary and just go there? Um, so I did, and I, I decided to go there without actually visiting the school. So again, <laughs> taking a leap of faith, I didn't even realize. And uh, I found out that, uh, I don't know if this is the place for me. I mean, it rains so much there, so I, I love right. the sun. So it was tough kind of being in school there and being in somewhere completely different, being on your own. But I finished my master's degree there. Um, it was a two-year program, and you know, in architecture as well. Uh, came back to Massachusetts. Uh, my first job was working in um, Boston, working for a design company, um, and I actually hated it. I hated going there. I hated waking up. I didn't feel like this was me. And I think six months into it, I kind of took a leap of faith. I walked into my manager's office and I just kind of quit on the spot. No backup plan, no nothing. And uh, yeah, I think uh, 24, 48 hours later, I picked up a job working at a garage pumping gas yeah. for a living. Um, so from there, uh, you know, this is where I kind of hit rock bottom in my life. Uh, I said, mm -hmm. you know what, I'm going to pick up this job. And it was really more of a strategic move for me because while you're working at a gas station garage, um, you kind of have a little bit of some free time in between um, some shifts. So for me, I took the opportunity to kind of work on a portfolio. I knew I wanted to do something with sports. Um, so I said, you know what, let me try footwear um, and apparel. So I spent the next maybe a year and a half, two years just working on a portfolio, trying to teach myself everything about how footwear works or how apparel works. And yeah, long story short, I got uh, I got recognized by some people at Converse and I got asked to do an internship working for the kids design team. And from there, I think kind of my foot in the door started to take place and you know, not too long after that, I, I worked with um, Polo um, mm -hmm. right before the pandemic hit. I was there for about seven months and I got I got laid off, unfortunately. And, but honestly, probably one of the best things to happen because I got an opportunity to come to New Balance and work at New Balance. And it's been a little over two years now and I've had, you know, an amazing time. Um, ups and downs for sure, just like any other job. But yeah, it's a really humbling and grateful experience to be able to work on the projects that I've been able to work on and be able to get to where I was to here has been uh, truly incredible. So let's uh, let's go into that beginning of your journey a little bit. You mentioned yeah. that uh, you were kind of scared to be on your own. Yeah. What were those things when you were finally on your own in Oregon that you were finally like, I need to address these things uh, and find myself? Yeah. Um, you know, the thing is, I never truly felt happy, I think, being back home. I've been here for so long. I think uh, I think I just wanted to change. You know, I come from a very difficult background, a uh, very low income family, not really having much. Um, but, you know, the idea of just kind of branching off was kind of for me to kind of figure out who I wanted to be. Um, it was a lot much. It's a lot deeper than that, because for me to go outside my comfort zone was actually really important to me. And I knew if I wanted to kind of figure out what I really loved and who I want to be as a person, it was really a matter of fact of just going outside that comfort zone and being uncomfortable. Picking the University of Oregon, yes, they have a really great architecture program, but it was more than 
just the academics for me. It was just going out, meeting new people, experiencing yeah. things on my own, and kind of developing a self awareness to be able to move forward. And you know, that started to transition into okay, am I really happy? Am I happy in this? you know, amazing profession, um, very well liked and very respected. But for me, it's like I wanted more than that. And I think continuing to go outside my comfort zone and just quitting on the spot, knowing that I can't wake up every single day and do this was, you know, a huge risk as well. I mean, think about coming back home and telling your mom you quit and you don't have right. an income. Uh, it's, it's a little difficult, for, especially for someone that is relying on you to kind of find yourself and for me i said you know what i'm gonna work at this garage and that's really where a lot of self-discipline actually had to come into my life and i had to learn quickly because it's hard because you know you look at all your friends and they have all these amazing careers and where they're at in life and then you look at yourself and you're like wow i have two degrees and i'm working at a gas station for a little under ten dollars an hour and trying to figure out my life so uh, again you have to kind of learn very quickly and yeah. embracing the discomfort. That's interesting. I uh, a couple of things I want to dive a little bit deeper on there. So from a family perspective, a lot of people that have been on this show when we talk about a lower income family, traditional yep. household, everything like that, parents and older family members see being an architect as a career path, right? Like. Right. You get that degree and okay, I did, I did my great work with this one. He's going to go make this money and hopefully yep. like bring us a ton of money down the line, yep. whatever. Yeah. So absolutely. I'm interested to know, like when you said, when you went home that night, yeah. what was the reaction oh. like when oh, you quit yeah. your job? Just complete disappointment. I've, yeah. I felt like a failure. Uh, and you know, it's tough because, you know, I... I have three siblings and I was raised mostly by my mother. My father isn't really in my life, um, hasn't been in my life for years. So trying to kind of grow up quickly um, and leaning on my older brother was an important thing. He kind of set right. the bar, right? He's the one that graduated first. He's the one that got the career first. So he's kind of set the bar in the family to kind of follow suit, right? And for me to kind of break out of that was uh very shocking for my mom um mm -hmm. and i remember i told her i was like you know what i'm just not going to do this anymore and you know she, as as anyone would imagine it's just complete disappointment because you worked six hard specifically six years in school just to get a degree and not do anything with it and i told her mm -hmm. you know what uh you know for me it's it's tough because you know even those years that i was working at the gas station um i got the sense that i wasn't worthy of anything I've been able to accomplish because, you know, I went so out of the ordinary and um, to do something with two degrees and working at a low paying job isn't really a successful pathway. But, you know, for me, I played the long game. And that's something that she didn't understand at the time. But for me, it's like, it was more of like, I'm going to show everybody, I'm going to prove it to you that I'm doing the, I'm doing the best that I can. It's just a, all a matter of when, right? It's it's a patience game. But that's something that, you know, when you grow up in a low-income family, you don't really have much. Patience is uh, one of the hardest things to maintain. So for mm -hmm. me to be able to do this um, was a complete shock. Yeah, that's interesting. Something else I want to dive a little bit deeper on there as well is the fact that 
you quit your job. Yep. You're at this point, you, you're feeling this disappointment. You're telling yourself in your head, like you're not worthy. Yep. How did you break out of that mentality? Yeah. So it's crazy. Uh, working at this, working pumping gas for a living, I found that I lost a lot of my personal relationships. I've, like I said, I, I this is the moment where I hit rock bottom, right? Mm-hmm. My relationships failed. Um, my friendship group was non-existent. Um, I wasn't making any money. I couldn't go. I couldn't spend time with anybody. It was really about just waking up and say, okay, I got to stop feeling bad for myself. Like I, I look at it this way and I'm lucky because I got to learn this at a very young age. For me, it was we really have two primary choices in life, right? And it doesn't matter what position that you're in, we have two choices, right? You can accept the circumstances that you're in and accept Mm -hmm. how they are and just continue to feel like in this bad place that you're in, or you can stand up and just take the responsibility and take action to change those. For me, it said, I I was more of the types of individuals that said, you know what, I'm not gonna feel bad for myself. I got myself in this situation. I can certainly get myself out. So it takes a lot of discipline. And for me, it wasn't just about, oh, okay, I'm going to work at a gas station to work on a portfolio. It was more about like, okay, I'm gonna cut off social media. I'm cut off all this uh, negative people that are surrounded, that I'm surrounded by, um, and just start to focus really on myself and what I can do to change my life. That's when I started to realize like, you know, you don't have to make things complicated, but you really got to just discipline yourself and that mentality. I think the the biggest factor is really get your mindset right, right? Mm. And if you cannot do that, you're going to be struggling for the rest of your life. I really, truly believe that. You really got to have that anger. You got to start changing your attitude to change your altitude, right? So for me, it's like, I had to learn quickly that it's like, okay, if I'm going to be in a certain place outside of this position that I'm in, then I got to stop focusing on other people. I got to stop focusing on the negative things and I got to start to just work hard, develop that mindset, really callous the mind, if you will. So for me, that started to look like, okay, let me wake up really early in the morning. Let me work out and get that out of the way. And when I mean early in the morning, I mean four o'clock every single day. That includes Saturdays and Sundays. So by just doing that, you start to develop discipline. And by doing that, then you start to stay focused. When you start to stay focused, you can work on your craft and then get to a better place. So I would not change a single thing. I'm glad that I grew up in a very poor, low-income family. I'm glad that, you know, I got to the position where I took a leap of faith and quit to pursue something that I think I was more worthy of, right? And better, um, a better opportunity for me. So for me to do all that, it really takes a mindset. So I wouldn't change a single thing and I would do it all over again if I had to. So self-taught yeah. on the sports side of things. Yeah. Um, obviously, you had the the architect education on the back of your brain. So yeah. when it came to developing that portfolio and everything like that, two questions. Yep. Why footwear? And the second based off that question is how did you get started? Yeah. Okay, so why footwear? Well, like I said, I, I wanted to grow up to be a basketball player. I mean, mm-hmm. Kobe was actually my favorite player um, growing up. Kobe and Allen Iverson. And 
I wanted to be just like them, right? Uh, it was the shoes for me that really caught my attention. Even like the Jordans. Yeah, it's great, but Jordan wasn't my guy. Kobe was my guy. Right. And uh, I kind of try to model a lot of what I did after his kind of like career in basketball, you know? And for me, it's like sneakers was an important thing for me because I never, I never had that growing up, you know, in high mm-hmm. school. I would be fortunate enough to have one pair of sneakers, but those sneakers had to last me at least three years before I could even get to another one. So for me, um, I, I I didn't get an opportunity to have the shoes like all the other kids did. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where that love started was like, I used to see all these people wearing all these amazing sneakers. And I'm like, you know, one day I, I'm going to have all of those, right? Um, so that kind of led you know, foreshadowing down later in my life where I said, well, if I'm not going to be an athlete, then at least I can do something that still ties into sports, right? And yeah. doing sneakers definitely does. It ties into the culture. It, it, it's a huge thing, right? So, you know, again, I kind of had to teach myself, you know, when I, at the time when I was working at a gas station was how do I, how do I get into this? So it's really just research uh i had a laptop from college and for me it was just more about researching what does the construction look like what are these materials like how to draw i had to teach myself how to sketch um granted you know a lot of that was um helped from going to architecture school where you had to you know understand Mm -hmm. design and be creative so i i felt like i had a step ahead of other people trying to teach yourself how to how footwear works i look at i look at people like Tinker Hatfield, you know, legend from Nike and what he's done with the Jordan brand. I look at somebody that, like him, who went to architecture school, um, but ended up being a footwear designer, right? So I said, you know, maybe I could still be able to do stuff like that. Um, I just kind of had to like do a lot of research and sketch and draw. And man, you should have seen my portfolio when it first started. It was it was terrible, <laughs> but you know, with consistency and just practicing that skill set. Uh, I got it to a point where I could start presenting it to people. And that's where I started to really like network with people in the industry and kind of pitch my portfolio. And that's really how I got that opportunity to work at Converse was my relentless, annoying, um, <laughs> constant messaging of like, hey, look at me, like I could do this, give me an opportunity. And I finally got it. So uh, and that's pretty much history from there. Okay, let's let's talk about that a little bit because a lot of the creatives that jump on this show, I talk to them and still help a lot of the creatives with being able to pitch themselves. Because one of the things as creatives, we're so focused on our craft that when it comes to pitching ourselves or uh, maintaining a rate for a project or anything like that, it's tough. It's tough because we're so, so, so consumed by the actual project that it's hard to peek your head up and say, Hey, am I getting paid what I'm worth? Or how do I pitch this client that I really, really want or anything like that? So from your perspective, what has that process and what did that process look like trying to approach people for these different roles and internships and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, great question for me. It was more about like, it wasn't so much about, Hey, look at these designs. It was more about like, this is my, hey, this is, I, I know I'm not the best designer yet, but it was more about like, this is what I've done within design. And I think part of the part of the secret when you're doing a portfolio, it's not just to have all only footwear 
projects. Um, like I said, I went to architecture school, so I had projects from architecture, but what that shows people, you know, especially when you're trying to get a job is to show a different side of you. What I mean by that is show a different creative side of you come from architecture. So there's a little bit of uh, a different way of thinking when it comes to architecture, right? We're thinking about spaces, we're thinking about people's emotions, right? How does somebody feel when they're in a, in a certain space, right? There's a different way to think when it comes to design. And I think what has helped me was pitching, um, pitching individuals um, on myself on creating differently, right? Designing differently. You know, the majority of people that um, become footwear designers usually come from an industrial design background or whatever the case may be, right? But mm -hmm. when you come from an architecture background, uh, I always say an architecture design is a, is a universal design, uh, design degree, right? You know, if you go to architecture school, you can do furniture design, you can do graphic design, you can do industrial design, you can really do all the designs, right? So, but it takes a different way of thinking when it comes to architecture. So I, the way that I pitched it was, hey, I might not be the best at sketching, I might not be the best at renders, I might not be the best at storytelling right now, but what I can do is give you a different perspective on how design storytelling should be. And I think that's when people start to kind of take a chance on individuals that didn't necessarily come from an industrial design background, but more so came from an architectural background. I mean, you gotta talk about people like Virgil, who comes from an architectural background, Tom Ford, mm -hmm. architectural background, like I said, Tinker Hatfield, architectural background. So there's this representation that architects can take the creative mindset and be able to implement it within product. Um, and that's really what it is. I mean, trust me, I've gotten hundreds of no's before I got one yes. And that one person that gave me the yes basically kind of opened the door for me to do it. And from then on, once that door is open, it's really on you to prove to everybody else that you can do the work and that you can do it very efficiently right and um yeah that's kind of where I, I said okay you open the door for me i'll do the rest of the work pretty much how i got this job at this point so to talk about the brand a little bit we yep. the time when you joined new balance some of the energy was coming right there were some yeah. people paying attention everything like that uh -huh. but when you got the call or when you applied to the role or anything like that yep. was there still that this is a dad brand mentality in your head <laughs> oh man oh, okay i'll be honest with you when the opportunity to come work for new balance came to me i i was like new balance what <laughs> and i'll be honest because i come from you know i come from a school that's really dedicated to nike right the nike yeah. the joint brand right university of oregon is really university of nike um i come from the oddies of the world so it's like new balance really wasn't on my radar um yeah but I, you know, I needed a job. It was the pandemic. I said, you know what, let's try this out. It, it, it doesn't hurt to try something, right? And if you don't like right. it, you could always opt out. So for me, I, I had seen that New Balance was definitely on the come up, but I, I wasn't convinced until I finally got here and I was like, whoa, okay, this is, this is a big time brand. It's, it's on its way up. And what actually really did it for me was actually looking at the materials of the shoes. And that, huh. that for me was like an indication. I was like, okay, these people actually really care about the quality, right? And I actually think New Balance makes, if not the best shoes with quality, right? And you talk about mm -hmm. like their suede, their leather, it's amazing quality. So I knew that people, I knew the brand cared about the product. 
And that's what kind of pushed me in. It's a smaller brand. It's a private owned company. It's not one of these publicly owned companies with stocks, right? This is a little bit of a smaller. And I knew that if I could be here, I could actually learn a lot from doing that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's proven well so far. We've, and then I've seen just the collaboration start to increase. The Made in USA department has increased. Everything has really been put in a spotlight at New Bonds. I mean, it really just goes down to the storytelling that the brand represents, right? I think every major project, whether it's a collaboration project, has some sort of story. I think that's really what ties people in, right? The whole dad shoe mentality. Yes, we still have that, right? Um, Absolutely. But it's how to take advantage of being that, right? So I think that's something that a lot of brands miss because, you know, you know you're a dad brand, but you embrace it. And I think you're trying to... I think what New Balance does the best is knowing who they are and staying true to it, right? I think uh, I think when you start to look at some of the other brands, they're trying too hard to be something that they're not. And I think that's where you start to lose a lot of people and a lot of investment in others, um, especially from the consumer perspective. This was amazing. And I think yeah. we can speak for like literally two hours on these different concepts yeah, absolutely. and everything like that. But I got two more questions. So okay. one, if... People, let's say it's a creative listening to the show or anything like that, that has a question. Um, you've told me that you're open to answering questions or anything yeah, like that. Absolutely. So where can people find you? Where can people reach out and follow along in the journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, two places. One, my social media. I'm only on Instagram. It's just Sarmad Marzouk. You can find me. It's There's not much content on there, but I'm, I'm, I promise I'm growing with it. I'm trying to stay consistent <laughs> with it. People can... You know, follow my my path there. You can DM me on there. You can ask me questions there, but also my LinkedIn. Um, again, LinkedIn is one of those really underrated places to connect with people, um, especially like-minded people in the industry. You can reach out to me there. You can reach out to me on Instagram. Either or works for me. I will do the best that I can to, you know, reach out at a timely manner. All right. Yeah. What makes you strange on purpose? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So this is a this is definitely one of those strange ones. I I think the best way to answer this would be I never really celebrate the wins in my life. Mm. And the reason why I do that is because it makes me complacent. And for me, I am I never settle for just good enough. The thing with me is I learned a long time ago um I always felt like I really had to work harder than the next person and coming from where I come from to get to this point I know that I'm continuously moving forward. So for me to kind of celebrate the wins is great, right? But for me, I always know that I can do much more. And like I said in the beginning of this podcast was self-discipline. And real quick, um, when I mean self-discipline, I mean it in three different factors, right? The first one is actually the ability to say no. I think a lot of people are so pressured to continue to say yes to other people that doesn't benefit them. So saying no, I think, is one of the most important things. You should be actually saying no more than you should, you should say yes. And then, and then the other two factors is getting your priorities straight, right? Making sure that you're doing what's best for you first before you help other people, right? Um, getting your mm. priorities, changing the situations that you're in and working hard. It's that work ethic that I was talking to you about. And then the last thing is just stop complaining, right? You have to remember that someone else's life is worse than yours. So for you to complain, you're just wasting time, right? And if you can have those three factors, 
that re that's going to show you the doors for self-discipline. So for me to really kind of finish that question is, that's what makes me strange is the ability to never just be complacent, to always move forward. And for me to be able to continue to have that mindset, um, that's going to let me continue to make goals and, and pursue dreams that I have. So yeah, 